you want to hear a ridiculous story that happened to me yesterday? Yes. So I love Tick Tick, as you know, and there's a couple mm -hmm. of things which just cause it to fall short of being fully plugged into my, my brain. And that is, it lacks keyboard shortcuts. You can't quickly switch between day, week, and month view. Um, there's no keyboard shortcut to view today on the calendar. And so it breaks up your flow because obviously everything else, you, you're alphabeting and you're quickly adding tasks and you, it's doing the natural language recognition to find what day to add your task and which list is in and everything else. But then when you open the calendar, it's stuck on a different day. It doesn't scroll. You can't go. So like, it's just, it's little, but it's really because of the number of times I do it every day, it adds a lot of friction. So I think on like a monthly or quarterly basis, I send Tick Tick a message saying, hi, on your next version, would you consider adding a keyboard shortcut? And the person in the support things like, yeah, okay, we'll pass it on to the developers and you never hear anything. Um, and I'm, I'm part of the like Tick Tick ambassador group now as well. So I hope that they would take my workflow seriously. Yesterday, I thought, right, enough's enough. I'm going to download Keyboard Maestro, which is a really big dick piece of software that is like Alfred Turbo. And it's for only the, the kind of biggest automation perverts. It's for people who want to create automations that are just disgusting levels of... Um, ne needless. Yeah, just gratuitous. And I, I got it just for one function, $35 piece of software. <laughs> I got it for this function that if you're using a native app that can't, that doesn't have like a native Mac button, it can do screen recognition and find a lookalike um, section of the screen. So you give it the input and you say, look for this kind of image on the screen, move the mouse to these coordinates, click this button and trigger that with a hotkey. And I set the bunch of conditions for like, if tick tick is running, check every one minute for if tick tick's running and um, deploy this hotkey. And so I set this up and I, you know, created a little screenshot for recognizing day, week and month. Um, and then I had to repeat the whole thing for dark mode as well, because it's specific to the, how the screen looks. So you with me so far, spent like just 40 minutes, just trying to like create this thing. So I was like, it's going to pay off very quickly if I can get this nailed. After I did it and set it all up, I tweeted Tick Tick and sent them a screenshot of my automation and said, this is what I've set up. Like, like this is what you've made me do, Tick Tick. Like, I've... <laughs> to get this working just so I can view day, week and month. The guy from Tick Tick replied and said, oh, you can just use the key D, W and M. For day, week and month. Never knew that. Well, so they already had that. They had it. It already existed. It's just, it's not in their documentation anywhere. And it just happened that the guy from TikTok was like, oh yeah, just do this. So I feel like there's a deep lesson to be learned in that, that you can go like the really long, wiggly, windy route to get a solution. And sometimes it's staring you in the face. Well... But you, you asked them. 
Like they could have told you. You asked them multiple times by the sides of things. I did, but I, I obviously they asked the like core support team. Years and years. But you'd think they'd know that. You'd hope like, so. Like surely the workflow is new feature request. Does feature exist? That surely that's got to be because otherwise they're just they'll just be clogging their feature request list with things that are already in the app, and it's a pointless. That's a really good point. If there's no filter, it's annoying to be honest. To for a for a pro productivity app to not have a watertight capture process is heinous. Do they have a recur? Is it recurring? Tick tick. Recurring cost. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like twenty quid a year or something. But they, it's in their interest to keep you happy so that you keep paying them. Yeah. And so if people are, ca are constantly asking the support team, hey, have you thought about this thing? And that and it exists. Like your the likelihood of you renewing's just increased, doesn't it? Because you found out through Twitter that a feature that you've been asking about has just been there the whole it's time. It's true. They're just, um, I think software companies are just snowed, aren't they? They just get so much... Like, I mean, the, the amount of tech support requests that we get, and we're not even a tech company, mm. and then you multiply that by something else, they must just have someone manning the field just stressed out of their, their mind. We get tech questions about other bits of software, though, don't we? Yeah. And you think, well... People who, like, often already asked the tech support of the bit of software and not how to reply. And so they ask, they're like, I know, I'll ask Johnny and you if they'll know the answer. <laughs> and then we, we Google the answer and tell them what Google said. There's a really passive aggressive website called LTGMFY, which is LTGMFY. Let me Google that for you. Ah, uh, right. Or LMTG, whatever. And it's a really like, if someone asks you a question, you type it into that thing and you send them the URL and it's a screen animation of the question being typed into Google, the mouse moving over, tapping it and showing the results. Yeah, I've seen that. And does it actually do the Google search though? It does. Yeah, it does. So it, it's partially helpful and partially bitchy. <laughs> mm. I kind of get that. I think like if some, if it's almost just like a, a person, like a pedestrian person and they get offended by being asked a question, I think like, well, you know, what do you expect? Like why, why shouldn't I, who, who are you to, to think that no one's allowed to ask you a question and should Google everything before consulting you? <laughs> and then if you're a coach or a company and you're getting pissed off, then like that's your own fault. You've, you've poorly designed the way in which clients can get help. You're right. And that, that dynamic is going to change because I think we're very quickly getting to the point where it's harder and harder to find a question that can't be answered with Google. Like yeah. every day I wake up and I think, is that a question that could be answered without Google? Like, <laughs> I, so I think things that, that Google can't help with is like, um, so I'm excited to hear human opinions. what you're going to suggest here. What well, human opinions. So There's billions like, of human opinions I... online. No, no. Okay. But what I mean is like, um, should I wear this t-shirt or this t-shirt Yusuf? Okay. So like a, a decision uh, aid. No, I want to know what, what you think. Like, I value uh, Yusuf's opinion. Fine. I want to know but what you Unless I've thinks. made a website with, and I've scripted some kind of, like, um, survey funnel. I mean, we're, when we're at the point where your views are coded into a website, <laughs> and I can just ask the website for your opinion, where we have a whole new set of problems. Well, if, we? if you go on 
youtube.com and search propane fitness you can pretty much find and, and any any word related to the topic of your choice we've probably covered it at some point yeah this is this is the problem with building a coaching program right is that there are things that you can include in your standard modules material documents downloads right the thing that is hard to include in that is like what should my macros be next week now you can build like ai can answer that question if there's sufficient inputs to the to the equation but if it like or you know do you think i've improved in my progress photos or what should what should my next training block be that's the stuff you should be doing as a coach but if it's like uh which are the most satiating foods i can include in my evening meal like you shouldn't be answering that question that is something that should be in a module like that's the, that's the google question right that's the thing that if someone's having to ask you you failed like you should have built a better backlog of answers and material yeah very true and that's that's the lesson we learned the hard way where we were manually giving people the answers for all these things with varying levels of sleep deprivation mm. and and therefore varying levels of quality of answer until one day we were like do you know what we should really construct the gold standard onboarding sequence and set of answers for obviously the same problems that everyone encounters in their first weeks of a first six weeks of a fat loss diet and as soon as we did that oh like quality of life just improved so much i have a a bridge between what we've just been speaking about and what we're going to speak about by using a speak pipe oh now <clears throat> well we can play the speak pipe if you want i think it's the most recent one we got do you have it to hand uh, i will get i just it know on. you'll get it quicker than me because <laughs> i'll go <laughs> i'll go google chrome open google chrome new tab www dot oh no did backspace 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 oh <laughs> god yeah with, with the pants on your head so uh, what I did was command space, so invoking Alfred, and I typed S-P-E. Invoking Alfred. <laughs> so like a, is that like a president Alfred. invoking a, a law? It's, it's like a Ouija board. I've got to like put on the blindfold and kind of tap into the, the Alfred in, spirit. Speaking tongues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alfred summons from the... Who summoneth me? <laughs> I'm going to go, hi, Alfred, just wondering Me again. if you can pull up SpeakPipe. Me for the 450th time today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it Jack Montgomery or Rob Curd? It's Jack Montgomery. Jack, let's have a listen to your SpeakPipe. All right, guys, I have a question for Johnny. Why on earth have you moved from OmniFocus to Things 3? throwing shade and I really enjoyed the well. tutting yeah <laughs> I hope the tutting came across in the podcast <laughs> the reason why this is a nice bridge is we've just been talking about tick tick now obviously things is much better than tick tick so that's a nice comparison and then I, my reason for explaining why I've moved to things is a nice way to start talking about lumen which were I think are we going to talk about it in a minute yeah we are okay yeah. I'm interested in this bridge. Um, why did I move over? So my, um, the pretty much the only thing I care about in a task manager 
is that you can distinguish between a date you're intending to work on something and a deadline or a reminder. So this was a change I made like probably a year or two ago where I used to have like due dates for things as a way of reminding myself to like, oh yeah, I really should do that project on Wednesday because it's, I've been putting it off for ages. It's not actually a due date. That's a, you know, you, you train yourself systematically to, to ignore deadlines. So you have no way of knowing like what is an actual deadline and mm. what is just when I think I should do something. It's the snooze alarm muscle, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Or like you just, you're so numb to seeing deadlines that you just, none of them are real. So none of them have any importance to you. Um, I don't know whether things has that, uh, sorry, TikTok has that. It probably does. Does it have to... like a, a when date or a, or is it, can you just assign a, so you create a new task. What can you, hmm. what can you do with it dates wise? So I, I think you can, it's not, it's not part of my workflow, but, um, there is a way to do it. So like a start date and a due date. Sort of. Um, I guess you have the cal you use a calendar, don't you? You should see our see our previous video where we we fight it out and um, come to a conclusion. Um, so things and OmniFocus both have this ability. OmniFocus. So those uh, when I'm considering moving to something, it's going to be one of those two things. Um, OmniFocus was just getting unwieldy for me, basically. So I'd made it too complicated, and I think part of the reason why I'd made it too complicated is because OmniFocus makes it very easy to make things too complicated. Like it has a lot of functionality, a lot of features. There's a lot of tagging. There's a lot of filtered views. There's a, there's a, it's a great tool, but I was realizing that I was like opening OmniFocus in the morning and it was just becoming unwieldy to use. And so what I actually decided to do was kind of part of a, a process and a, ta and a um, bit of software switch was I just, I just moved over the things that were like relevant in the next two to three weeks just those tasks move those over to things just use things as like a, a cleaner like oh it was it, i felt an immediate like weight off my mind because the things that are in omnifocus that i have there because i want to not lose them but i'm never actually going to get to they're still in omnifocus and i've never gone back to them because i'm still always just churning through the things that are like two to three week timeline um so to summarize the reason is simpler cleaner fewer things to manage and largely achieves the same thing. So like you can have a, a date when something is due, a reminder to do something at a certain time, and like a date that you can intend to work on something, but it doesn't have any notifications or flashing icons and it would just appear on a today view. Interestingly, I was looking for a shortcut to, I was like, I could really easy to see today. I quite like to see tomorrow, but there is no view on things for tomorrow, which you can do in OmniFocus, but if you command F and type in T O M, there is a tomorrow view, oh. but it's just it's so similar. I didn't quite go down the, the pain of, of trying to create it myself. Um, but it just, it does, does just exist, but you don't, um, you have to look for it. Um, there's an interesting point you've raised there, which is that OmniFocus is a very powerful tool, but mm. if you think one step ahead and go, okay, what, really am i trying to solve here what problem am i am i trying to solve what's my desired outcome it's to wake up and have clarity of what you need to do and to be able to do that with as little friction as possible presumably yeah and yeah. this is kind of the problem with a lot of productivity related software that and and actually coaching software as in 
software made for PTs to coach their clients, that they mm -hmm. appeal to the shiny object syndrome and the flashing bells and whistles of the software and the people who would use it. So in the coaching space, things like PT Distinction and My PT Hub and stuff, they they're advertising to coaches. So their client is you. It's not your client. And so it's in their interest to make things that are as appealing as possible for the coach to go, oh, well, it's got this, uh, this feature on here and it can do RPEs and it can do that. But really, the client doesn't care. What the client cares about is I'm turning up in the gym. How do I just find out what I need to do and log my training? Or how do I send a message to my coach? And they don't want any of the other fancy features. So the reason I'm saying this is that this principle applies across lots of different bits of software. And more recently in the note-taking space, because if you've been following us for some time, you'll know that we've both switched to Apple Notes, which is, you know, from a note, note-taking app perspective, it's pretty Billy basic. Like it just has folders and tags and you can't even format the text very much. But what's the goal? It's to find a note that you've written and read it or add to a note quickly. And there's a whole spat of recent note-taking apps like Rome Research and Obsidian and all these kind of things, which are super complicated and people end up creating really flowery workflows. And that's fine if you're a note pervert. And that's like, if you enjoy being a note-taker for the being sake of note-taking and that's how you, that's what you enjoy. But that's the equivalent to like being a chef versus making a meal for your lunch. It, it, some of these tools, so another problem with OmniFocus and the things you've described is because they are, because it like has all this functionality, you're encouraged to like make the most out of it almost. So because OmniFocus lets you have all these views and all this, all these filtered uh, ways of viewing it and it's for, it, it reminds you to review everything. You're like, oh yeah, I need to review all these projects all the time. And actually you, you look at it and you're like, I don't really need to review this. Like this was the same as it was last week and the week before and the week before. But you feel silly and, not and moreover, um, using more than 5% of the software. Yeah. Like moreover, it, it's, um, I'm not like, I have no, really, I have no intention of, of doing this probably even this year. It's like, it's just there because I, because David Allen tells me to do a brain dump and that was one of the things that was in my mind. So now it's in my only focus and you end up with this very bloated task management system and you come back to, well, what is, why am I using this in the first place? It's because on Wednesday, I want to wake up and look at a list of things and know that like, I'm starting to work on things that, are, that have due dates that are soon. So I don't get caught out by missing a deadline that I'm not forgetting things. Like it's someone's birthday today. I'd like to, I'd like to not miss that. Um, and the things that are relevant for me at the moment, I'm reminded of them at the time. I'm, and that's it really. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to hold anything else in that. So finding the simplest thing that achieves that the simplest bit of software that achieves that, that almost doesn't, I think both of us can easily go down the rabbit hole with stuff. Like if we get a bit of software, it's got all these powerful features. You want to make the most of it. You want to use all the features you want to build this complex of like, how can I make OmniFocus tell me what to do today? When actually like, I've still got to sit down and do the work. Like I've still got to tick all the tasks off and I probably can't do 30 things that OmniFocus thinks I can do. So simplifying and I think tracking fewer things and looking at fewer things and um, giving yourself more headspace to just like do the three hardest things on your to-do list rather than maintaining your OmniFocus. That's why. So that's where OmniFocus got to. Um, and I, 
I started getting frustrated by it. It started getting more unwieldy. So I moved to things. It's a very complete answer. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Put that in your speak pipe. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with OmniFocus though. Like I'm not, if you're using OmniFocus, that's fine. But I would, um, I'd watch out for that trap. Like I'd watch out for the, like how many things did you actually do yesterday? And how much of the time was spent sort of like optimizing your your tags and your filters and your perspectives? The only thing is, things. I think we've maybe got to be careful before before I mock Jack too much because um, he might be an OmniFocus ninja. And so I'm, I'm going to have to reserve judgment. Well, the trouble is being an OmniFocus ninja, like the fact that you can be an OmniFocus ninja, I think speaks to what I'm talking about. Because like, that's really like, that's nice. But like the thing that matters is completing the work that's required on a regular basis. Like it's, it doesn't matter how good you are with your task management. Give anything a bit of paper, someone can use a bit of paper and still be more effective and productive than you. Even if you have, you are an OmniFocus ninja. Yeah. I mean, I, I know people who smash it with a bit of paper. Yeah, I, some of the most productive people I know use paper and pen. Makes you feel like a total willy, but... <laughs> tosser. Yeah, absolute tosser. So, this nice. is the Lumen device. So, look at that glossy tip. Mm. It's not something he uses when he's lonely at night. So, here are our th <laughs> So, we're going to cover our thoughts the science, the theory behind it, and whether you should get one, as well as our recommendations for metabolic flexibility in general. So we were sent kindly to Lumen devices to try out. And I wanted to go through a bit of the theory and our experience with the product before going into some more of the philosophical side of it. So just to give you an idea, if you haven't been targeted with the ads for Lumen. It's a very cool piece of fitness hardware, I suppose, that measures your respiratory quotient. So that is the ratio of carbon dioxide to oxygen that you're expiring relative to the oxygen in the room. And the number that it spits out is translated into the app to give you a, a clearer idea of whether you are currently burning fat or carbs and in which, uh, in which ratio. So the amount of, to sort of put that into lay speak, the amount of carbon dioxide you emit will, is, is a signal of, is, is, it, is it predominantly fat you're burning or predominantly carbs? So which way is it? Is it more CO2 equals So more CO2, burning? so the higher the number, the more carbs you're burning. And it ranges, the, the official number ranges between um, 0.65 and one, but Lumen turns it into a score from one to five. So it makes it kind of, if it's one, you in fat burning zone and if it's five you're fully carbs and anywhere in between and is this something that's used in like a medical setting like is this a not not a lumen device but that that quotient is that yeah good question elsewhere? so that that uh metric that is used in clinical settings the only thing i don't know so it's used in clinical and research settings and it can be quite useful in certain cases so particularly if you're in a situation where you've got a patient and you can't adequately assess their fed status and for some reason you want to triangulate that against blood sugar and ketones or something else. And you want to get a quick marker that's non-invasive of 
what their what their fed status is then you can use that um the only thing i'm not sure about with the lumen device is whether like what it's calibrated against i'm sure it i'm sure there's some data on the website i've maybe just not um gone deep enough into this but it's it, like i don't know what the internal accuracy the internal validity of the the tool is but let's assume that it's it's good because obviously a lot of funding's gone into it it's quite a nice piece of hardware i can't imagine yeah. they would fall at the final hurdle and make it an inaccurate device so the the question really from from using this and and what what we've been doing is testing at random times so kind of pre-meal post-meal and we want to address should you get one and also is the respiratory quotient a meaningful thing to track if you're somebody who's looking to improve your body composition or improve your performance so i can go through some of the stuff on the data but i'd love to get a quick impression from you of, of like how you found using the the app and doing the measuring i think my initial impressions of it were really it's a really impressive like experience i think setting it up the way that it syncs to your phone the app download the app interface the way that it guides you through a tutorial like all, that experience is great and actually using it is not that much of a hassle to be honest uh, maybe i'd feel differently if i'd been using it like regularly for a long time um you know i imagine like six months in it or months in it probably gets a bit tedious um so yeah in, initial impressions are for, for what it is trying to do for sort of it's in it's intended like this is why we built the app this is why we've created this we think this is a good idea at sort of a a theory level um i think they do a great job um and the the experience of using it was i was imp i was impressed i think by by the experience what was your yeah i was impressed with the kind of smoothness of the experience and the the apps are very nicely designed it's clearly quite a polished product so what you would do you take off the delicious glossy tip and you you, you breathe out of it first no, you breathe in, it, hold it, it for 10 yeah. seconds, and then breathe out through the thing. It also has like a gauge to tell you whether you're breathing in and breathing out too too hard or not hard enough, which is yeah. quite a nice gauge. Like, it's nice to know you're doing it right, isn't it? It's nice to know that you're doing the, the, the process exactly as intended. Yeah, a nice little floating ball. So you've got to keep the ball in the circle. I mean, I, I could do that all day, to be honest. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, how did you... <laughs> <laughs> It'd be quite a life. Very monotonous. <laughs> how did you find the actual... So that the, the breathing, the intensity of the breathing was slightly harder than completely comfortable? Yeah, <laughs> it was. So it's not like... Because I think it's breathing for four... Hold for 10, breathe out for six. Is that right? Yeah, you've you got to give it some welly. It's the breathe out. You, you start breathing out and you're thinking, I'm not going to have enough breath to do six seconds here. And you, it, But then you get there each time. And you're like, oh yeah, of course I did. It's that was good. actually fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because breathing in for four seconds, like that's four seconds of air, isn't it? Not six seconds of air. So you've only... Yeah. You're having to really squeeze the squeeze the lungs to get the last two seconds out. Um, but yeah, so interface experience, process of using it, it's quite quick. Um, the first time you do it, 
is a little bit more elongated. And I think that gives you an impression of like, oh, this is going to be what a faff this is going to be. But the next the subsequent time is much quicker. So, yeah. yeah. Initial experience is very positive. Yeah. Um, so I think to go over some of the data and the the background of this and the reason that we have some issues, but some, I think that can be useful for some people is when we look at respiratory quotient in the data outside of clinical settings. So for, for groups like us, of people who are non-obese with no metabolic abnormalities and want to improve their performance or physique, which I think is fair to say most people watching this, we've seen that the data on your carb fat ratio of what you take in is negligible for fat gain or body composition. So this is in the context of weight gain. So bulking, for example. And the reason I'm mentioning this is that Lumen uses the data that you get from breathing out to say, oh, you're burning mostly fat today. So you can have a high carb day or you're burning mostly carbs. You can have a low carb day. So it tries to get you to kind of dance with this um, metabolic flexibility idea. And Metabolic flexibility is indeed a, a real thing and, and it, it can be improved and measured by respiratory quotient. So my issue is, and if we, I'll show you the study, that there's many things that you can look at to measure the success of a diet. And there was quite a cool study here that compared basically a Mediterranean relatively low carb diet to a, a low fat diet. And they showed that after six months, the, the respiratory quotients were kind of as expected for those people. So people who ate low carb tended to have a, a drop in their respiratory quotient, as, you, as you'd think, because you eat more fat, you burn more fat. My issue is that we don't know whether the respiratory quotient is a cause or an effect, and it's most likely an effect rather than a cause. And so I don't think that chasing acute changes in your respiratory quotient in how much CO2 you, or your score for lumen is going to really make much difference outside of the calorie balance that you're eating. So put simply, if you're eating a deficit, whether or not you're burning carbs in that day or burning fat in that day, you're still going to lose the same amount of body fat overall. It's the same or very similar to the concern in the fitness industry, like, I don't even know when it was, like five to 10 years ago when insulin was all anybody cared about. And it was yeah. this idea that, if you keep insulin low all day, then you will start, you're in a, you're in a fat burning state constantly. But in the same way, if you start looking at it as well, if insulin is just a consequence of what you eat, and as long as you are in a calorie deficit overall, you will be in these states where you are you know, burning fat or, or, or you have high insulin, low insulin throughout the day as a result of your intake. It doesn't, you're kind of looking at the result you're looking at the the effect rather than the cause of progress. And so you're measuring something that's, it's very easy to get obsessed with. I think it's very easy to start fine tuning this number that's sort like sort of telling you something, but also you could still be in a, in a calorie surplus while optimizing these numbers. And I think yeah. that's what you've got to be very careful of. It, that, that's exactly it. That yes, it's a relevant indicator and yes, it's, probably internally accurate, internally valid to the, the tool. So it's not just give, it's not giving you random numbers. Um, but our point is that is chasing that number or trying to modulate that number something that's going to meaningfully impact your fat loss? And we think probably not. So here's a really cool meta-analysis of the different factors in fat gain. 
And briefly, it's having low muscle mass, having low oxidative fibers, having a low VO2 max, so just low fitness, low androgens, high leptin, so um, being insensitive to the hormone that makes you feel full, having larger fat cells, um, having high estrogen, having low DHEA, low cortisol. So th these are all things which impact how much fat you gain relative to how much muscle you gain. Notice that insulin's not on there at all because it's short-term regulated and it's not something which um, can cause you to gain fat in the absence of actual fuel, actual um, building blocks to build that fat with. Yeah, the, the idea that like because your insulin is high, for example, that you would miraculously gain weight in a calorie deficit, it's like violating the, the fundamental principle by sort of moving up further and further down the scale of sort of what is relevant, what isn't relevant. Um, I think that the biggest thing for me is the, even just using the app, so even just like looking at its recommendations and ask, and answering the questions that it asks a lot of questions when you set it up about, have you tried low carb diets and what was your experience of low carb diets? You're like, mm, I can see where this is leading. <laughs> um, and it's very easy to get almost convinced of the importance of these things and start worrying about something that might not actually have any bearing on the success or failure of the, of the diet. You know, if you imagine versus um, just tracking calories and body weight, and that's the only two things you decided to look at and you only focused on that stuff, all these things would still be happening. The changes in, in this quotient would still be existing. You would still, your insulin would, levels would still change over time. And you would still then just probably make the same decision of like, if I'm not losing weight, I need to either be more active or reduce my calorie intake whether you look at this data or not, but that all this does is kind of adds this this additional level of stress of like, this is this other thing I've got to manage as well to try and change something, but I'm not really sure what. Yeah, and the, the bandwidth thing is a, is a big one. We can cover that in a moment as well. Um, but I think it's self-fulfilling because if you eat more fat and less carbs, of course you're going to burn more fat because that's the fuel that you're giving your body. So... <laughs> It's if you eat more carbs, you're going to burn more carbs. So it, it kind of, it's almost as if if you started chasing it, uh, my concern would be that it would tell you what you're doing, and then you would kind of bounce back and forth. <laughs> and so, th the only way to know for sure, and it is, you know, and we didn't do this. We we didn't like. I'd love I'd love to say like oh for the last six weeks we did Lumen every meal and we followed the instructions blindly and we got shredded. We didn't do that, and it would be cool to see that as an experiment, see what it does. Theoretically, I'm not sure how it would would affect much in in the short term, and I'm going to cover why at the end. But um, it, it that was also, kind of my main. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say it'd be very difficult to prove that that was the result of using Lumen as well, because like fundamentally, in the background, all that's happening there is there's a person who's eating a who's carb cycling, who's eating food. <laughs> each day like each day they wake up they eat food they do some activity and they go to bed and they repeat that process and after a period of time they've lost weight because i imagine if you looked at the profile of that experiment the person would also have done resistance training they would have also been in a calorie deficit they would have also eaten a certain amount of protein and you say well is it lumen or was it the kind of the fundamental things that were well, there that actually generated the result that's yeah the, that's there's the, the thing and the way to test that would be you have two people one person actively disobeys lumen so whatever it tells you, they do the opposite. And then the other person, they, they follow 
the protocol. It'd be quite a cool study. Maybe that's what we should have done for this for this video. <laughs> so, and would that be that in your experiment that we're probably not going to do, but, but nice to talk about? Would the calories, <laughs> our calorie theoretical surplus or deficit, would be the same? Yes. So it would just be the composition of the the carbs and fat that we'd be changing as a result of what Lumen tells us to do. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Um, but I'm currently dieting and my goal is my goal. Like I'm, I'm trying to get leaner and I didn't really know how to interpret the results that it was giving me. So sometimes it, and you know, I'm someone with, I'm, I'm lean, I'm active. I've been training for 15 years or so. So I theoretically am quite metabolically flexible, but it would sometimes tell me something like I've woken up in the morning, having not eaten for 16 hours. And it says you're burning carbs. What do I do with that information? <laughs> like I'm still going to eat my calorie target for the day. I'm probably not going to reduce my carbs for that day. It's the and I don't feel like I'm advanced enough of an athlete to make use of the, the minor tweaks in, in terms of feeling my performance. So. Nor would you know, because you only get one go, don't you? At each day. That's the trouble with life is you only get one turn at that day. So it, you might make a change and it might help. It might not, but you have nothing to compare it to anyway. So like you're making all these kind of fine tune adjustments. You might have a good session. You might have a bad session. It doesn't really matter. Like you, it's the, the Jimmy Carr joke of the falling rocks sign as you're going around sort of a mountain road, you're <laughs> driving around this road and you see the sign that says falling rocks and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, do I just park here and don't go any further? Or am I going to drive along the road anyway and just sort of vaguely worry about that the whole time? Like ultimately, if a rock hits the car, a rock hits the car. Like I'm not going to, knowing, knowing what's going to happen, it's not going to change what I do. That's a good question. Like, do you drive faster or do you, I suppose that's the, that's the solution. <laughs> I don't know how sensitive it is as well. Like if you, and I, I should have tested this as well, but if you wake up, you do, you, you do a lumen test and then you have a cup of tea with a dash of milk in, is that enough to move it. influence the needle? Yeah. Yeah. Here's a question for you. So you're dieting. You're a dieting doctor. You're a dieting doctor, online personal trainer who's coached two and a half thousand people, let's say. Okay. <laughs> do you, what do you track now? Tell me what, like a, what are the numbers you care about for your nutrition on a daily basis? What do you look at? Protein and calories. Interesting. And actually usually not protein and unless <laughs> unless it's extremely low then i'm not worried about it so as long as you're not eating like a 12 year old like you're eating sort of some meats and dairy some protein powder maybe throughout the day yeah um i mean it's it's kind of disingenuous for me to be like oh so that's all that matters because obviously that's 15 years of of habits and experience and yeah. um you know my my life has landed at this point where because i'm not eating like a 12 year old I can just focus on those numbers and I'll probably be okay. Oh, and, and also like lifting numbers, obviously. Yeah. So you're like my 10 RM. You have like a, a regular weight training habit and you, but it's not, I, th I think it's important to clarify that when you say habits, you don't mean like for breakfast, I'll always have Atlantic salmon with coconut oil. And like, just you, you eat fairly normally. I think if anybody met you and you went to a restaurant with them and you ordered food while dieting, they wouldn't be like, God, Yusuf's dieting. And if they saw you, what you ate throughout the day, it wouldn't be obvious, I don't think, to an outside observer, someone who doesn't necessarily have a nutritional knowledge. They wouldn't. Yeah, you absolutely. Dieting. 
So it's just interesting that I guess the thing that Lumen is implying is actually of utmost importance. You don't track at all. Yes. And, and then that raises the question that you mentioned, which was if you flip that on its head and you're absolutely smashing Lumen, you're nailing it every time, but you're not losing weight, then what do you do? Yeah. You'd still, you're okay. still back to calories, aren't you? At the end of the day, you're back to sort of like, if I could only measure one thing, what would I pick? And it would be, it would be calories. Um, so. Yeah. And, and so in, in the words of the wise Johan Blobson, um, <laughs> to bring in some, some marketing, uh, input from this is that you've got to put the Facebook pixel somewhere, meaning you've got to optimize for something. At the expense you of other things. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I, I'm going to change my one number to body weight. That would be the only thing I'd track. Yeah. Because if that's moving, assuming that you, but you know, it, this is assuming you're lifting weights and you're not doing anything to just like, you're not trying to cut off your leg to drop your body weight. This is Goodhart's law, isn't it? Like yeah. once you start optimizing for something, you also end up like jimmying all the numbers towards that and missing the, the point of the goal. I think the, cause if I said to you, you can't track your calories at all. You, you can go to the gym as many times as you want. You can track that and you can track your body weight and you've got to lose weight over the next six weeks. I bet you'd manage. Like I bet, I bet you would just, um, and as you say, like some of this is because you've got 15 years of experience of doing this, but you would think, well, I'm dieting. So I probably am going to be a little bit hungry throughout the day. I might go to bed occasionally feeling a little bit hungry. I probably shouldn't feel like stuffed or really full a lot of the time. And if I just do that for six weeks and I manage my body weight, it'll probably go down. So that's sort of the, the opposite view of this, of like, you could measure all of these things. You can, there's loads of numbers you could measure. The problem is deciding what to pay attention to, to try and influence the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. So although we sound like we're being quite damning of Lumen, I actually think it's, it's a great tool to build awareness and it's something we're still early on in using. So it'd be interesting to stress test it and, you know, play around with, with the ideas. And I'd love to see some more data on athletic populations rather than just clinical populations using it. Cause I've, I've not used it as a, a measure clinically as a doctor. I've not, I've not been using respiratory quotient for any, for any patients, but it's more something that like dietitians might use. Um, so what the, the company actually suggests, and I think this is where they are doing good things and building good habits for people is that they're talking about building metabolic flexibility as the, the, the North star and Lumen's just kind of a little marker that keeps you motivated on, along the way. So they're saying that benefits of metabolic flexibility are better sleep, optimized workout performance, better ability to lead, to build lean mass, better weight maintenance, feeling more energy and easier weight loss. So I agree, but I think those are probably the outcomes of being metabolically flexible. And so I don't know whether changing, changing short-term decisions outside of the context of calorie deficit is going to be helpful. I'm sure they're not saying that like you shouldn't eat a calorie target you know, that, um, and actually what would be very valuable is if they, 
if eating according to Lumen suggestions helps you to regulate your appetite, then brilliant. That's the holy grail. Because then it makes everything so much easier. Mm. The Your Aura Ring video, the, your like conclusion at the end of the Aura Ring video, which if you've not seen that, I would definitely recommend watching it on our YouTube channel because it's kind of a commentary on a lot of devices like this, a lot of sort of self self-improvement like quantification the quantified self-movement of turning what's happening internally into metrics on a dashboard on an app um he made the point at the end of the video of like we know what works like we know the fundamentals of things that that change our body composition our health and our wellness over time the difficulty is doing these things consistently it's not about like optimizing things down to the to the to the but i guess that that's very much dependent on who's using it and why and why they're using it yeah um that's very sensible like who's using it and how are you what are you using it for and if you're using it as a tool to stay conscious of your metabolic flexibility and following the lumen guidelines of doing some time restricted eating or, or fasting varying what you eat in terms of your carbs and doing some form of training brilliant because over time you're going to get a better and better score and there's something built into the app which is a lumen uh, lumen score which, yeah. or like a lumen flex score so over time if you can gradually improve that then you're winning so where do i think metabolic flexibility is a useful thing to measure or your lumen flex score is in the long run if you can get a better score overall six months from now your health is probably moving in the right direction the same way that if your um triglycerides or your your cholesterol markers are improving six months from now, then great. But if it's gone up or down at some point today, then it's probably not something to worry about. So you're saying like it might be worth maybe doing, I don't know whether this would be a, an interesting way of using it, but doing a, a, a measure once in the morning for six months or for years, like it's an interesting thing to be aware of, but perhaps guiding short-term decision-making, how much more effective is that than just following the behaviors that we know work, like eating a sensible nutrition plan, following a sensible training plan, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, if you have someone who is obese and leptin resistant and metabolically inflexible, then they're going to have a chronically high respiratory quotient because they're always going to be burning carbs and they're not going to be able to, to shift out of that. But that's not um, something that, like the, the way to fix that is to lose weight, train, do all the, the good habits. And I think Lumen are on board with that. Also, I should emphasize here to be, to be fully clear that the most important determinant of improving your metabolic flexibility is your mitochondrial density in your muscles. So how efficient your muscles are at being metabolically active and um, the way to improve that is lift weights. Get more muscly. Get more muscly. So many things point back to just get more muscly, don't they? I'm not it's sure great. anything's worse by nothing's no part of your life is made worse by becoming more muscly up to a point <laughs> anything that's naturally attainable a question I had for you was is it possible to so take take someone who's like out of shape for example at the start of the year so like low muscle mass high, high body fat percentage and over two years are stronger is it possible for that person to have not improved their metabolic flexibility in that in that process i can't see how they could 
unless they so like, is it really adopted some habit that's going to throw it off like if they started smoking heavily and sitting like going from a active job to a really sedentary one and they'd, they'd have to jimmy it somehow because i'm kind of wondering without being too damning on the whole thing like is it like saying you know if my bicep curl goes up and i visibly have bigger arms it's important to measure your biceps just to make sure like if if the behaviors that i'm doing by improving my nutrition, my body composition, my health, and those, it's quite, it's quite clear that those things are working. Is it really necessary to measure my metabolic flexibility? Like what would be the benefit to someone who's already doing those habits, already has a lifestyle like that in place, already making progress on their goals? Why should that person care about how metabolically flexible they are to build them? For that person, I'm not overly convinced. I think for someone who doesn't have those habits and yeah, they're using Lumen as a way to stay conscious and have some proof on on their phone that what they're doing isn't isn't working then great uh, that is something that they i'm sure they'll improve over time but the thing i didn't get with the interface and again it was just my impatience was you would log your day by units of grains and i wasn't sure how much a unit of grains correlates to how many um, grams of carbs you're eating and and then it forces that input before you can proceed on the app. So um, maybe if you were fully bought in and you were in the Lumen ecosystem, it wouldn't be a problem. But for someone who's casually using it, it's a bit difficult to just use it and gather data. I, I think what worries me about it is if the market is people who are like starting a weight loss journey, for example, is it actually teaching them a sustainable way of living or like is it teaching them habits that matter or is it you know rewind the clock back for us 10 years where, where we were really worried about when we were eating our carbs when what the quality of the food we were eating and and, and probably not really getting any results as a, as a result of that is it is it just a, another way of looking at that same behavior rather than teaching someone that something that is very flexible and unsustainable Mm. So Lumen's principles are fasting, varying low, low and high carb days and training. I agree with the training. I agree with the fasting if it's in a calorie deficit and losing weight. But really, those are the two things which are going to really drive your metabolic flexibility. And even Gaining then, muscle, losing fat. The, the fasting is very easy to take too far, as we've both experienced. Yeah, we've we've managed to eat a surplus while fasting. So you, yeah, you're right. You have to, you have to have other targets as well. So that, that's our thoughts, I think. Lumen, thank you. We will. I, I'm going to continue losing. I'm going to continue using it for sure, um, and maybe do an update in a few months' time once I've got a bit more data on it. Um, but yeah. So it'd be it'd be interesting if you're going to keep using it. You've got probably. How many weeks have, been, have you been dieting now? 12. I love how you know that straight away. That's a <laughs> front of mind number. Um, why don't you try, like, keep calories the same, but if Lumen tells you to have a high-carb day or a low-carb day, listen to it. Fine. I mean, it's a faff, I suppose, isn't it? Because, like, you think, well, I, was, I don't really have anything high-fat in the house. <laughs> I was going to eat this bag of Haribo. But now I'm off to buy some cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> But yeah, it just might be an interesting 
I guess if you do if you do that and you turn around and say, I feel brilliant, like my training's been great. Um, I've noticed my sleep's got better than that. I think that would be the thing that would convince me to give it a proper run. Fine. Stay tuned, everyone. So on to the final thing that we wanted to mention to you today which I'm stalling for time here because I'm trying to find the thing. I can remember it. Oh, uh, yeah. Have you remembered? Yeah, but go ahead. Well, it was... So I've just, be, I've just come back from uh, a week away. This is, we're thinking of the right thing, right? Working on holiday, basically. Or, being, or other people telling you not to work. So I've just come back from a week in uh, Portugal with girlfriend and parents... Um, and my sister and um, something I was saying to to Yusuf and this is something we've both done for, for a long time is that the way that I the way that I like to operate on holidays I like to still do a bit of work or like it's funny to categorize it as work which I think is probably we'll, we'll talk about this but I, f I just feel better I enjoy it more I feel like I'm still kind of building on the thing that I'm really interested in which is propane um, I get a bit of time to do that in the morning, typically before the people are awake. And I think I enjoy the holiday more that way. Like I am, I am convinced I have, I've tried doing none. I've tried doing more than the amount that I do. And I've tried doing this kind of little, like one to two hours in the morning with a coffee on the balcony in nice weather before other people are awake. And I, I'm, I'm utterly convinced that that is the, the way that I like to, to live a holiday, to have a holiday. Um, and it's not so much, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a, a while now. So kind of my family and Becca and friends kind of understand and get it. But for initially, I used to get a lot of like criticism of like, you should have a, you should have a day off. Like it's important to take time off. You shouldn't be working all the time. It's bad for you. It's bad for your mental health and all that sort of stuff. And I, we've both had this over the years. Um, but just, just to discuss this idea of like, what is, what, you know, what is work? What is a healthy way of when you're an entrepreneur and you run your own thing and you're trying to build this business yourself? What is a healthy way to view that, and how do we how do we manage that? So what what is what's been your experience with it? Because you've been full time in propane now since so six months, ish. Yeah. So, so you went from working in hospital where there was very defined like you are in hospital or you are not in hospital, to now there's far fewer boundaries. You could work all the time. You've got to kind of create your own boundaries. What, what have your experience of that been? So it's exactly that, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword. Um, and it's it's a real frame shift doing something that you're building because most people hate their jobs. Mm. Like 85% of people from the survey I saw don't enjoy the job that they're in. And so they're just kind of counting down hours while they're, while they're at the place. And hospitals are quite a miserable place as well you know you but but there is a the the, the advantage is or the, the flip side of that double-edged sword is that you're in during those hours and when you're gone you can fully switch off unless you have the classic doctor thing of waking up at two in the morning and being like oh, i forgot to oh, check that guy's potassium God. but um and then you call it the night shift being like, yeah <laughs> any doctors listening to this will be like oh yeah definitely had that you call in the guy on nights, been like, can you please just check bed three for, for this? Um, but normally 
you finish and you're done. And that's why people have this kind of uh, toxic relationship with work because they they go on holiday or they live for the weekend because they hate what they do most of the time. And this is really one of the big unsung benefits of running an online fitness business yourself. It's not even the profitability, which is higher than a, a day job because you've delimited the upside. You know, you're no longer working for a fixed salary or an hourly rate, but also you're, you've got the freedom to work on what you want to. And yes, you have to do what's profitable. So you can't just totally work on what you want to. Otherwise <laughs> you might not, might not make any money, but this is massive and shifting away from the hourly rate mentality is, is brilliant. But yeah, the, the flip side that I have experienced is that, um, if you're doing a office job or a, a, a standard job where there, there's fixed hours and, um, then you go from having that to zero boundaries, you end up either working all hours of the day or working none of the hours of the day. And so you have to create an artificial structure for yourself. Otherwise, as George McGill says, gray is where productivity goes to die, that you should be in black mode or white mode, but not just kind of semi-working. Yeah. The only argument against that is like, if you were... I'll sometimes have a, by that definition, like a gray evening where I'll mm. sort of be sat with my laptop with kind of TV on in the background. And I know I'm not being super productive, but I am still like, I'm still ticking things off and it still all just gets done. And it wasn't that bad, <laughs> but I, I like, would that, it, would I have been better off doing an hour of black work and then, you know, three hours of white rest? I don't know. Maybe I, I'm sure that's, that is the optimal way of doing it, but. Everyone's human, aren't they? People give in to like path of least resistance sometimes. Yeah, um, it's very easy to, to slip into it. I think it's one of my um, biggest struggles with productivity and focus is you've got this background urge that you always, there's, the, the work never ends. And so you always should be doing something. Mm. And so there's always a sense that if you were to just take a full rest, that you could be spending that time doing something, even if it's low, low level clearing emails or something. Yeah. I'm like on the plane back, I actually listened on, ironically, on double speed to 4,000 weeks. Um, Did I'm you? Like, I think I'm like three quarters of the way through it. Um, I didn't think you would pick that up. So it's just an interesting perspective. I listened to an interview with him. Um, he's a like very, like in, seemingly a very intelligent, like eloquent guy. Um, made some really st strong arguments. So I know you recommended the book. I saw Ali Abdel recommended the book. Thought like it's two pretty pretty strong referrals. I'll give the book a give the book a listen. I had some audible credits, so I thought I'll give the book a listen. Um, and it kind of speaks to this, doesn't it? That you do just have this endless list of things that never goes away, and it doesn't really matter how fast you work or how efficient you are. There'll always be a to do list. There'll always be items to complete. Um, and it's just <laughs> if find, trying to find peace with that somehow, rather than always feeling like you need to work it's a great perspective because it's not coming from a buddhist monk who doesn't really have a, a frame for this like it's coming from someone who is an ex-productivity nerd mm -hmm. he talks through how he tried all the pomodoro technique and time boxing and all these different things and, you, and you're just like oh yeah we've been through that journey and then he eventually realized as you say that the more you try and bully time the more time just bullies you back yeah and that 
life is has infinite things that you could do and and really you've only got four thousand weeks to live and he starts the book by saying like i asked my friend how many weeks do you think we have in a lifetime and they were like uh a hundred thousand like hundred and eighty thousand and he was like not even close like it's four thousand and it just he says it's like, like oh, so actually that's the the number of weeks it's been since like humanity's ever existed yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, fuck <laughs> that's so depressing but yeah the um so it, it it's when when you, you realize that and you go okay what i'm even capable of experiencing even if i live my absolute best life is a tiny sliver of all the things that i would want to experience and do yeah so you there's no point even thinking that you can get it all done so as soon as you make peace with that and you realize that you're only going to get done what you can get done then it's it's, it's actually liberating the only problem so i haven't got to this which i assume is the bit at the end where he starts talking about more practical advice is that right mm. oh, so i'm i'm probably at the same stage as you in the book oh right i i'm finding it a little bit frustrating because it feels like he's just kind of saying well there's loads to do and it's all a bit much so if we all just kind of accept that then none of it really matters anyway which like is one lens to view it through right which is if you just make peace with there'll always be emails there'll always be tasks it's it's quite easy to slip into well there's no point in trying you know like that i think that's the extension of that is that if i'll never get it done then i'll take my foot off the gas a little bit because oh i see there um so it it's more i i the impre the lesson i got from it was you should put your foot on the gas with the important stuff um so he you know he says like one can systematically waste years thinking oh well you know if I, I want, i've got an important task to do but that's going to need my full focus so i'll just clear the decks of the more trivial stuff for now yeah. it's like if you do that all the time you end up systematically postponing precisely the things that you care about the most yeah. and so for me it was like you you don't have much time you need to focus on what's important what's the high leverage stuff bias your action towards those things and realize that like he said even the retiree has the same sense of existential overwhelm but it's the content that differs so yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like well that's always going to be the case and so i suppose like if the immediate experience of time is always stressful or feeling mm. like you've unracked a bar that's more than you can squat yeah and it's totally unnecessary then it it's probably quite worthwhile learning to get rid of that feeling yeah, and I think he uses the, I think he says halfway through the book something like, like one of the best things I've done is I have, and it's, you hear this all the time, like I have an hour in the morning where the first thing that I do is the most important thing on my to-do list or whatever before I touch anything else. That, I think that is one of the most, and you know what, every time I hear that from people, I'm reminded of that Tim Ferriss article, which is like productivity tips for the crazy and manic depressive uh, like me. Yeah. And I remember the first time I read that article, because it's literally like, wake up don't look at your email work on one thing for three hours <laughs> and if you yeah. do that you're in the top like you're in the top like one percent of the world when it comes to productivity um or it's write down write down all the things that you think you should do look at the things that make you the most nervous do one of them for three hours in the morning that's it like just do that and you hear like variations of that from loads of different sources of like you know, eat the eat the frog first or 
biggest rock first. I have one most important task and just do that in the morning. But it's so hard to do because you wake up and you look at your email and before you know it, five hours have gone by and it's too late to start the most important thing now. So yeah. <laughs> you end up slipping down the rabbit hole. Such um, simple advice. But so funnily enough, that's kind of what I experienced on holiday was because I had a constraint, right? So the, the constraint was when Becca gets up, I'm going to shut my laptop. I had, I was forced to like, well, I've only got like an hour and a half. What are the, what are the things I can do in an hour and a half that are going to move the needle? And I just did them. Um, mm. And it's amazingly, it was so easy to then switch off. So I think that was a, a lesson I got from, um, from it was like, actually the stuff that sometimes takes me five, six hours in the day to do, I could do in 90, if I had a deadline, I could do it in 90 minutes. I know that I can. Um, but I suppose like what we were, what we wanted to talk about was this idea that I think a lot of people hear that and you might even be listening to it and thinking you shouldn't be working on holiday. That's a terrible idea. But I think it's, uh, as you have said, like one of the many benefits of running your own business, especially one that's online and can be done from anywhere is that you are building something that is yours that you get to like add to and build on and improve over time. And that actually becomes like one of the most enjoyable things you can do more so than watching TV or reading a fiction book or, or whatever. Because there's a return on your time. There's leverage to it. There's you're helping people, all, all that stuff. Plus if it's a small business, you have the luxury of outsourcing the things that you don't like. You know, if, if you're in a, the, the, the only time you can do that in a, if you're working for like a big four accountancy firm is if you do something dodgy and you, you end up subcontracting a virtual assistant in the Philippines to, to do your work. But I think it's illegal. I don't know if it's illegal, but certainly against company policy. I would, yeah. Giving your work to someone else and paying them <laughs> off. I don't, I'm sure somebody's tried it. But yeah, you either get so senior that, you know, all you're doing is the big, you make big decisions each day and that's it. And everyone else does the work or, you know, you're paid for your, you, you know, uh, you, you, when you work for somebody else, they pay you the minimum, really. Like they pay you just enough that they think will mean that you don't complain, that you won't leave and go somewhere else. Um, but obviously they're making a return on, inve on investment with you. Obviously they are. Like, obviously they feel like they get more from you than they give you otherwise it would be no, there would be no point in hiring you. So you are on it. You're on the, you're on like the sharp, pointy, unpleasant bit of the of the equation, and the company you're working for, the firm you're working for, is winning. Um, and when you're doing your own thing, you don't you don't feel like that because you're like, well, if I put two hours into this, and it runs like we've had experiences of you know you make a video or you produce a piece of content, you make a change to a sequence that will you know, run for hours and hours or you change an ad or something and it makes like a hundred grand and it took you an hour and you're like, wow, you know, like firstly, that's very, um, like do a very dopamine centric experience of like, it's a quite, quite rewarding. Right. But also it just feels like, well, that was, that was time well spent. Like I've really, I really achieved something with that. And so that starts to become more enjoyable than, other ways that people like spend their leisure time because they don't have that relationship with their work. However, that's defined for them. Yeah. And this is the, the bittersweet or the, the double edged sword of it. And if, if you can, as Johnny says about 4,000 weeks, if you can make peace with the stuff that you're not doing, if you have the agency to 
or the, the, the cash to outsource the things that you don't enjoy doing, and you can move to doing the higher leverage stuff, and you can go on holiday and enjoy when you're working and, you know, flip between black and white rather than kind of grey work, then fantastic. Yeah. But it's it, this is something that both self-employed and employed people will struggle with, and that's because we're running in a capitalist uh, institution, or a capitalist society where what capitalism is, according to Berkman, is a systematic instrumentalization of everything. So everything's instrumentalized and everything's put to a, a certain use. And that's great if you want to outsource something and then spend that time enjoying yourself. But there is always a background sense of, oh, but that time I'm spent enjoying myself could be spent doing something with a return. And he talks about particularly lawyers who have this idea of billable hours drilled into them that they can't fully enjoy time with their family because they're thinking, oh, well, this is time that I could be billing with a, with a client. Mm -hmm. But he's like, well, why are you, why are you billing those hours in the first place? It's so that you can have enough money to have enough time to spend with your family. So it's, it's learning when to kind of treat that time that could be billable as like the, the real juice of life and, not feeling guilty about it as well, which is tough. I think there's a, there's definitely a, a, having like a lifestyle now, which would be considered like reserved for the retired is also something that a lot of people go like, no, 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 like that. You've got to wait until you're 60 to like be more flexible or like, randomly take a day off or take or not work on an afternoon or you've kind of got to earn that privilege somehow by first giving away 40 years of your life to a firm that's owned by somebody else that it's, that's funding somebody else so that you then acquire this like lifestyle and time flexibility. Um, I think a lot of people, like certainly people who've like read the four hour work week who are vaguely aware of these ideas. Um, they like that idea that like I can get this lifestyle now, but it's a, it's a different when so much of the world, like so many of our friends, I guess, um, So many of our friends, with a siren in the background, so many of our friends are still working in like traditional employment. Like I, I would say most people I speak to, is that the same for you? Yeah, pretty much. And so that's like the world you, most people live in, I think, when most people you interact with subscribe to this, like you have a job for most of your life and you earn a salary and you save as much of it as you can put as much of it into your pension as you can so that at some point in the future you can leave and kind of do what you want but then when they try it then when they they realize that doing what they want is like what is that and you fall into this like capitalist but i still need to be productive and do it oh, i need to i'm going to make a list of all the countries i need to visit and tick them off and i must be really efficient and get the most enjoyment <laughs> out of each one and it's very hard to actually think well what is leisure like what is that and that's why i think having something now like a business that you can work on and improve and get reward from and there is no end to that unless you define those as being an end is actually a great way of spending your leisure time. Ironically. Very much. And the word leisure originally meant not work. So, um, so sorry, other way around the word, the word work in ancient Greece meant not leisure. Not so, leisure. so it's, yeah. So leisure was the, the default. Um, by the way, we are not slating. If you work a nine to five job and you're enjoying it, like all the power to you. I'm actually 
envious, <laughs> I'm yeah. jealous, because yeah. I, I wish I, you know, uh, I enjoyed the pure craftsmanship mentality of being a doctor, because I think that's where you're winning, because then you've got the security, the career progression, the inherent satisfaction of doing the job, um, all that stuff. But I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in growing an online fitness business. And so you're maybe at some level not fully satisfied with your nine to five. So we're in we're in safe company here. Well, the same thing exists with being, we speak to so many personal trainers who have kind of followed the same progression path of like you, you qualify, you get a job in a gym and you fill your calendar progressively and you, you sell in inverted commas more of your evenings and more of your weekends to try and grow this monthly income. And we speak to so many people who've kind of got to this point where they're earning five, six, seven grand a month and all they want is their Saturday back. <laughs> like, you know, and it, it's this awful, and that's, I think the same thing happens whether you're working in accountancy, medicine, or as a personal trainer in David Lloyd, like the same paradox exists where if you are in somebody else's model, they are leveraging your time, basically. Like they don't want to use their time to, to achieve that function. So they're paying somebody else to do that for them. And you are that person. And as Yusuf says, there's nothing wrong with that. But at a certain point, there is a limit in the, the kind of the flexibility that can, and that the trade-off is you take some risk, set up your own thing, put yourself on the other side of that equation, risk that it might not work, risk that you've got the kind of the sleepless nights of if something goes wrong, it's your, your responsibility. But if it- Yeah, work, it's not all unicorns and rainbows. No. But if it works, it's great because then you're the person that's like giving things to people who are happy to work for an hourly rate. There we go. There we go. I would read 4,000 weeks though, based on what I've read so far. I think it's been- Glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, or a good listen. Yeah, definitely recommend it if you're, if you're listening and that's piqued your interest. Um, anyway, next week we will cover Rob Kurd's speak pipe. Send us some more speak pipes. In fact, you, do you know what? Great announcement. I mean, it'll be the same button on the website, but we have now switched to a different podcast host where you can record from within the podcast apps. So from within Spotify or through anchor.fm. So an even better Hang on. experience to send us your speak pipes. So is it a speak pipe? Well, it's not a speak pipe, but, but you just <laughs> I feel like you're calling a, yeah. you're calling a vacuum a Hoover. <laughs> Exactly. Or a speaker system, a tannoy. Oh, oh, didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so how do I, if I want to send a voice note, how do I do it? Let's say I'm listening on Spotify. Cause I think quite, if you're listening quite on Spotify, there, there may be a feature within the spot, within the Spotify where you can, you can say, ask a question. If it hasn't rolled out yet, by the time this episode comes out, then go on propane-business.com. The link is in the description. Do I need an, the email you can ask us for a question. Spotify? But I don't need the internet to have email. You need the Wi-Fi. I think that's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> have a listen as well to the... Zuckerberg talking at the US Senate the for what that's to referring to because it is it's oh. it is very painful it, I'm I'm just on it's so painful. my Spotify now using my email anyway on the internet and uh, I can't see a speak pipe button but I'm sure it'll be there I'm sure it'll be uh, be on its way 
Oh, also, dear. you can now rate podcasts cool. on Spotify. Have you seen that? We have 11 five-star reviews. 11 five-star ratings. No. So if you're listening and you're enjoying this... <laughs> well, we would love Maybe if you could make it 12. in our wildest dreams, 13. <laughs> but I think you and I would both... We wouldn't know what to do. And that, to be fair, that would be... Somehow, miraculously, we'd have to find two more listeners. Yeah, we... we... No, no, definitely not. We don't want to get too definitely big for not. our boots, do we? So, <laughs> bye. Lovely. Speak soon.